0: In a world driven by selfies and social media, where empathy and entrepreneurs are considered contradictory, one podcast has set out to put empathy back in the boardroom by hearing from the best entrepreneurs around the world. Empathize It will hear from the leaders of the digital economy and learn how the soft skills drive their business. This is the Empathize It podcast. Okay, here we go. Hello, Christina. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, yourself?
0: Great. Well, this is the second time we were trying. The first time we kind of get messed up for other reasons, but what we're going to do, hopefully this time we'll go out and we'll do a good job. So, one sorry, uh, I'm just clearing my voice. Um, so, used to be, I ch- I used to do the introduction first about who you are, but we're going to try to do it a little bit differently this time and kind of get the you know, kind of get right into conversations, and we we'll use that as a way to kind of weave the, your background and your history and your experiences into the conversation, rather than just talk about uh, the, your background right off the bat. So the first thing is already a good way to start off your experiences is that you used to be a teacher, and now you're mm-hmm. doing marketing writing for Fortune 500 companies. So my question is always, you know, when I see that statement, is that's a jump? You know, that's not like your st- <laughs> it's a jump. It's like quite a jump. So, what made you take that leap of faith?
1: Absolutely. So for me, it was it was more of like a like the longest slow mo jump of all time. Not really just a leap because it took years in the making. Um, I have a really weird background because I have a I was an English major in college. Um, was hired to teach math with an emergency license and kind of fell in love with it. I was always good at math, but it wasn't necessarily a passion, um, but I feel like that that gave me more grounds for empathy with students to really kind of focus on, you don't have to love my class, I don't have to be your favorite teacher, but I want you to be successful and I want you to, to understand what you're doing, what are the mechanics, and, and have that strong foundation for the future and for their classes. Um, and then I did I did that for five years, and during that whole time, my husband, um, when I met him, I was like, it was my third year of teaching, and within the first two weeks of dating, he had said that I should go into marketing because I would fix things. I'm a deconstructionist at heart. I'd be able to look at commercials or print ads or or just literally anything, um, and be able to say like, if this would have been stronger if they had used if they had used this font choice. Hey. can you hear me?
0: Yeah now I can hear you was an issue with me. What
1: okay. did I what did I cut out?
0: You said that you were talking about fonts and uh, graphics.
1: Okay, so I was able to I was able to really kind of break down those individual like ingredients that could have been used to optimize the final product. And then, um, took like a four year break to be a stay at home mom. And during that time period kind of because I completely, I left my state that I was in, I left, um, I left the work that I was doing. So for better and for worse, I really had to like reinvent myself and, and really kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And during that process, I wound up um, finding HubSpot Academy and really kind of started diving into like what actually is marketing, not just, hey, I see a commercial and I can fix it, but like what is the actual knowledge, like the foundational knowledge, and then just started reading every single thing I could get my hands on, started reading websites, blogs, um, newsletters, um, basically taking every kind of class that HubSpot was, was offering, found Google's classes, and just kind of dived into everything that I could find. And over time, started started small. Started working with um, I was working in a museum, and I started working on their social media. They really didn't have a social media presence, so I was able to to take that on. And one of the girls there wanted to do Instagram, and that didn't really feel like me. So I was like, I'll take Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and, and get that going. And was able to really grow those. And and by like process of like trial and error, learned what worked, what didn't worked, and fell in love with Twitter. Like Twitter, as you know, is my favorite platform. Um, and then worked with SCORE, which is a nonprofit organization of retired executives that um, help help small businesses and entrepreneurs. And so I was the marketing and social media consultant for them. And then was offered a position as a marketing director for the Roanoke Small Business Development Center. Worked there, loved it. And um, when my boss left it made it was he was my favorite boss. To this day he's my favorite boss. He knows that too. Um, but he was my favorite boss and when he left, it really kind of made me think, like maybe, like this is going to change a lot. I don't know if it's going to still be the job that I love. What should I do? So I looked. I was I was up for a position at a university, and then was also um, debating whether or not I should go on my own. And so went out on my own and just kind of like got deeper and deeper into it. Started doing university work. I had some. I had two universities for clients. I have. Um, started working with um, nonprofits and small businesses and kind of doing the whole gamut and then was offered um, a couple freelance work pieces with some agencies doing fortune 500 work. And that kind of opened that fortune 500 door for me where I was creating st- strategy playbooks where they'd pull in the data and I would I'd analyze all of it, go through, kind of see what's going on, work through implementation plans on all right, well, here are our goals and here's where we want to go. And here, here's the problem. How do we get from A to B? And what are those little like micro moments that we need to be working on as we get there? And so that's kind of, that's that whole journey.
0: That's awesome. So you're really going back to using your math skills to build strategy playbooks for fortune 500 companies and really taking it to the next level where, even though you, at the beginning, it was like really just like a side thing or really out of, you know, I guess out of really more out of uh, a need here, you turned it into something more of a, you know, a complete career, which is Mm -hmm, absolutely, that's awesome. Yeah. One of
1: the, one of the classes I taught, um, was discrete math and one of the pieces, like that's like the normal like generalized version of game theory um, and how we're using it today just like what are all the optional like what are the, the possibilities of doing this action versus that action if we are putting a piece of content out on social what are the what are the variety of responses that we can expect and how do we want to and how do we need to navigate those and respond in kind and so just being able to really open yourself up to like, what are all of the possibilities, and let's prepare for all of them. I really, I really enjoy that part.
0: Awesome. Uh, I'm going to make a quick side note here. I'll try to edit it out. Let's turn off the video because I think there's a bandwidth issue, before you okay. and me. So let's turn off the video. There we go. Let's see if that works. righty. So, um, you've you've moved. You transitioned from being a speaker to a marketing writer for an amazing journey. And now you've given us, explaining what, what, you took, what that leap of faith was like and, you know, that many, several years of really dedicating yourself to content, digital strategy, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You also have spoken at Inbound, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, the social media, digital marketing kind of conference, you know, in the industry. How did you get to that level? How did you get to that? What were some of the main points that you were presented? I know that over the course of years, I've seen that this is like your favorite conference yeah. You know, it's on my list of like, you know, wish one day bucket list kind of thing. But what is that yeah. main message and what is, that, what, what is it about it that's so unique to you?
1: Absolutely. So, Inbound, inbound is my favorite. It's my Disney world. I, I'm an INFJ by nature, but well, and like INFJs, I'm very introverted until it's something I, I care deeply about. And I read energy really, like whether I like it or not. And so, you go there, and as an introvert, I should hate that I'm in a room with like 25,000, 25, 30, 40,000 people, but they're my people. It's, it's that positive marketing energy. They want, they're there to learn. They're there to. love marketing as much as I do and you know this normally it can feel like we're alone like no one loves it as much as we do or no one reads about it as much as we do but when you get into that space and it's so clear that like this is your tribe these are my people they understand me on a level where I don't have to explain why I'm geeking out over Rand Fishkin's talk or I don't have to like It's there's such a shorthand between marketers because we have such a shared experience, but we're so busy in the trenches most days that we never really get to have that community, like that physicality in the community. So that's why I love inbound. Um, I'll be honest to this day. I'm still shocked that um, that I was selected for inbound. It's, it's my favorite. I, when I look through all of the, the breakout talks that were happening though, I understood why I was selected because it my my topic was in line with oh,
0: your topic. everything.
1: My topic was on social listening hmm. and why it pays to be nosy. It basically, how can you set up a social listening strategy? What are the positive like outcomes of that? What do you gain? What kind of information and intel can you get? Um, how can Examples of how this goes correctly and goes well and creates a really strong customer experience and brand love, versus what happens when it and it falls apart and it you're actually hurting your brand because you're not social listening. Um, the difference between social listening and social monitoring, and kind of really kind of getting into the nuances of if we're going to set up a, step, a a social listening strategy how do we do that? And what are the pitfalls that I I usually see when I see companies starting a social listening strategy, things like that. And a lot of it came down to like the, it was, it was last year's inbound that I spoke at and so much of the breakout sessions and so much of the overall theme was taking care of your audience, knowing them, understanding them and taking care of them. And it's, If you're going to do a good job taking care of them and you genuinely love them and want to make sure that they have a good experience, then it's going to work out. Um, so in that, in that way, my topic seemed very like there was a synergy with my topic and, um, and just the overall kind of concepts that were happening at Inbound. Amazing experience with would not trade it for anything in the world. One of the highlights of my career, it's not even close. Um, and if, for anyone who hasn't been to Inbound, this year is virtual, so and they have free tickets, so there's really no excuse to not kind of dive in a little bit um, and kind of get like a taste of that. But um, there's there's something about there's something about it. I I had a, a couple friends who who came with me last year because like you, they they know that I speak so highly of it. And I said I said I have just have one. I just need you to promise me one thing. You'll let me walk you down the escalator. So that you can see the floor. So I get to see your face. I get, I basically get to, I get to experience inbound for the first time through your eyes. Like mm-hmm. you get, it's, it's the BEC is massive, and they have that whole main floor, and they have it, they have it blocked off went before the doors, before it like officially officially opens. So you don't get to see like all the booths and all the installations and all the like little nooks and crannies that they like these little pockets of experiences that they have all over the floor. Right. So I just, that was my only caveat. I was like, I just, I'm, I want to experience inbound through your eyes. So just promise me that I get to walk you down the escalator. And they, like, they're they like, that's weird, Christina, but okay. Nice. <laughs> and they, they got it. They got it. Um have a dear friend.
0: now now i'm back yes there was a little technical difficulty but sorry right. I, t- I paused the recording so we're good to go uh you were mentioning that there was like a whole you were about to t- talk about it, one experience that was going on at inbound after you took your friends to the down the floor down to, um, to down the escalator
1: mm-hmm. so going down the escalator um and being able to see inbound like i wanted i wanted so desperately to be able to experience inbound for the first time kind of the same way that I took my kids to Universal to see um, the Harry Potter. Right. Um, Harry Potter expedition, um, whatever you want to call it, um, the rides and everything else. And I I specifically said when my kids were going through, we went through Diagon Alley. And it's literally the exact same selfish reasons, the same reasons I wanted to be with them and, and help be with them when they went down the escalator to see Inbound before. The same reason why I specifically wanted to walk beside my son when he saw Diagon Alley at Universal and just because it literally like you see magic like you see magic it just opens up in front of you and so I wanted so desperately to be able to see to 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 see um the Harry Potter world in the same like for the first time just like just like through his eyes so that was selfish selfish of me but I wanted so badly to be able to to experience that because it is it is by far my favorite. And I know that that will make some other conferences mad, but it's just, it's just not even comparable to me. Right. Um, Inbound just, it's my Disney world or my awesome. universal, whatever you want to call it.
0: So speaking about crazy experiences, amazing, you know, top of, you know, top of your professional journey kind of things. Mm-hmm. I see that you're a NASA, a social alum. So I know you're not traveling to space space, that's clear, <laughs> although not yet. Maybe I maybe I don't know everything. Nope. But nope. <laughs> what does it really mean to be what does it mean to be that you're a NASA social alum? How do you get to be one? What does that mean?
1: Absolutely. So NASA has one of the best programs um, when it comes to just fan interaction, they've done, NASA has probably some of the strongest social media I've ever seen, and their social media team is some of the hardest working, brilliant, and also some of the most kind, like just the kindest people you could ever imagine. They have a program called NASA Social, and they've done a few this year where it's virtual now as as everything in 2020 has kind of shifted to virtual. But they have these experiences where you apply and you talk about who you are, Um, what you do, and why you would want to be able to go to a launch. So I applied for the the CRS-18 launch last year in Florida. It was the the SpaceX NASA flight where they actually put slime. They Mm -hmm. were sending slime and other science science kits and, um, and, and experiments to the International Space Station. So I was, I was approved. I was selected. I was able to go down to Florida. I took my family um, because sometimes the launches get delayed or it's a wash or whatever. So there, like, with all things we can't, we can't um, control the weather. So there is not a hundred percent guarantee that you're going to go down there and you're going to be able to see a launch. So I took my family so that if nothing else happens, we have a Florida vacation. So like we, we lose nothing. Um, we don't, don't
0: cover the cost of any of this. This is like, you're going and you're doing yes. this, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're, yeah, from, they, you're um,
1: yeah. They give you they give you tickets to um, to the Kennedy Space Museum, so you're able to go in there. So you you do get access there, um, and they give you they give you um, like just unheard of access for civilians, and you get we got badges and stickers and like calendars and commemorative um, like posters and things. Um, the, they take you, they take you on the grounds. You're able to walk through everything. And, um, it's just, I mean, I, I grew up a major nerd. Sally Ride is my hero to this day. And so it, it still feels surreal, um, to be able to have had that experience because you get to see like you go to the press room and you go to the press when they're doing like the press briefings about the launch and what's happening and we got to we got to hear from a lot of the scientists who had worked on the experiments that were being sent to the ISS you we got to play with like the packets of of slime that were going to be going up and got to see those you get to go and see like all of the major locations you get to drive through and got to see the launch pad where the launch was going to happen for SpaceX. We got to drive by the SpaceX, um, the SpaceX facility and see all the Teslas that were there. And, mm-hmm. um, and then you get to, you get to meet this community and that's, that's why like I've, I changed my Twitter profile all the time, but I never get rid of the NASA social because the NASA social community, it's, it's, it's everyone that's been a part of a NASA social event. And so it helps us find each other and lift each other up and share, share content. And NASA is brilliant for this because it's, they don't always go based on have like math teachers. They'll have like, they just, just really good selection of people that they may not be able to tell, like they may have like 12 followers on Twitter or like 20 followers on Instagram but they're going to be able to share it with their kids or they're going to be able to share it with their community or they're going to write right. a piece. Well, so it's not necessarily
0: about law. following. It's about, about the person and about who, and you try to create like a good, you know, I guess, balance between the various stronger profiles of people who can also share the, yeah. the, the magic about of NASA.
1: Absolutely. And it's such a powerful program. Like I can't, I can't speak highly enough of the, of the NASA social team, like definitely in my brand Trinity, I love them. Um, And just, and our launch was, it was supposed to be the day after the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. And it got, it wound up being um, washed because of weather or actually, no, I think there was like the fire, the fire test (laughs) is what pushed it back. So that got pushed back. So we, we wound up going and, Um, so they, they have a certain number of people that go each time and ours got pushed back the first time. And then, so there were some people who didn't get to go. And then the second time, which was the first time for most of us being there on the, on site, um, that was a wash. So it was going to be the next day. So then even more people had to leave
0: because they already had
1: flights to go and it was raining the whole day it was supposed to go. It was raining like oh, not no. pouring, but like sprinkling. So I took my family to Disney Springs. And I was like, we're just going to hang out at Disney Springs for a while. Um, have some fun, have some lunch, like do the whole thing. And hopefully things will get better, but who knows? And we, it was still raining the whole day and those questions of whether or not I should even show up. And I was like, no, no, no. Cause if I don't show up, it's totally going to launch and I'm going to miss it. And I will never forgive myself for the rest of my life. Right. So we go team like all of our all the people who were invited to come it's the weirdest experience because we all like at once could feel that it was going to happen like we all immediately got hype vibes nice and um and it and it wound up launching but it's like you're shaking you are geeking out it is beautiful like it is just like It is such a mixture of science and art and magic just all wrapped up into this experience. And then when you leave, you not only have these memories, but you have a social community that loves this just as much. And it comes down to the in like inbound. It's you have this community of people who love it just as much as you do, who you don't have to explain like how that whole moment like made the like made the ground shake under your feet, Um, whether it did or not, it felt like it. Right. just because you're just so pumped on adrenaline and just in awe of what you are so blessed and lucky to be able to see. Right. So, so yeah, it don't work for NASA. <laughs> <laughs> Love them to pieces. One of my favorites, like they're, they're crushing it. Um, but right. that's, so it Matt, you mentioned
0: like, it. yeah, that's, I mean, that's awesome. I, I mean, it's one of those things I've seen several people I know online who have been part of the community and every time they all mention something very similar, like there's like the stickiness to it, what 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 they do with the community ability, their aspect to be really, you know, corral the community well and bring people from all over the you know all over the walks of life to do it. It's just inspiring. Um, so I'm gonna you know you mentioned something that NASA kind of meets your brand trinity kind of goal. And they really do a good job about bringing, not necessarily the influencer with the amount of followers, but just people who have influence in some way, whether it's online, offline, or some sort of Mm in-between. You recently, you know, I've I've also started doing this to get to know the guests and to know people, is that you recently mentioned that if your brand continues working with these kind of influencers, you're condoning their behavior, whether you like it or not. Do you want Mm -hmm. your brand attached to this level of selfish entitlement now? It's totally different to what NASA does, obviously. Mm But uh, I would love to know what the context of that conversation was or that tweet was that kind of brings the other side of the NASA experience, which was so positive.
1: Absolutely. So that tweet was in response to right now, there are a lot of large YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok influencers that are in California and other places that are having these massive parties, like massive parties in the middle of COVID, in the middle of a pandemic, knowing full well that we all need to behave ourselves (laughs) in order for this to get better. Um, So these like 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, like all the way up, they're having these massive house parties being shut down by the cops. There's a ton of videos on TikTok and Snap and Instagram where you're seeing people actually like showcasing how large these parties are. And we're, I mean, we're seeing it still on our, um, on our college campuses too. There's so many college campuses that are having to close because you have these immediate spikes and you have students who are partying and it's this, this whole idea of, well, I'm young and I'm not going to get it. So I can do whatever I want. Like y'all can experience the pandemic. I don't need to worry about it because I'm young and invulnerable and YOLO and whatever that nonsense. And influencers and influencer marketing continues to grow, continues to be something that brands want to latch on to, but they forget this mentality. Like five, 10, 15, 20 years ago, if your brand had hired a celebrity to endorse a product of yours, and then they get a DUI the next week, that impacts your brand. It doesn't act, it doesn't work any differently than it does with these influencers. They are the modern day celebrity. They have more views on YouTube than most network television shows do. They have more engagement on their TikTok or, or their Instagram videos than you do on like an entire ad campaign. So I understand, I understand the temptation and the desire to latch on to that because it feels like an easy win. But when you're doing that, you need to understand that you're attaching yourself to the good and the bad. You're attaching yourself to their reach, but you're also attaching yourself to their irresponsibility, to their entitlement. You know, like we, we've started seeing everything in the space of numbers instead of in the space of lives and the space of, experiences. If you see a customer and you just think like, well, I sold a hundred things today, instead of thinking, that's a hundred different people that gave you money. That's a hundred different people that are supporting your business. That's a hundred different people that deserve a good, a good customer experience from you that creates a completely different behavior trail for you because you're seeing them in a completely different way versus, oh, well just this number that's on my dashboard. And that's what it, that's what it comes down to here. These brands need to understand, that when you are attaching yourself to somebody, you need to be looking at more than just their follower count. You need to be looking at what are they saying? Does it jive with the positioning and the messaging that you wanna be associated with your brand? Does it even fit your demographic? I've seen so many influencer pairings where I've, like, you can tell that they picked it based on someone's really popular, but their target market and the target audience of the influencer they chose aren't the same. It's like, I don't know what you're doing unless you're trying to create a new market for yourself and awareness and everything like that, it, it feels like a waste of, it feels like a waste of money. It feels like a waste of time. And so there's, there's definitely a lot of, there's a lot of brands big and small that need to reevaluate how they're looking at things because they see paid and they see influencer marketing as a shortcut. And it, it really isn't, it still comes down to relationships.
0: It comes down to relationships and that, Brings us to actually your idea of influencer marketing and the You know this kind of disparity between what the brand thinks and what the Information or the you know the con the what the influencer may be thinking and also the actual data that proves You know kind of bridges the gap between the two brings me to this next You know kind of kind of segues to the next question. I have which is a very, you know I call it a viral even though I don't really like that word a viral image that i shared with you before it's a famous you know six squared image of data mm-hmm. information knowledge insight wisdom and conspiracy theory and yes. you had your own point about this but it's also you know it kind of talks about different components and it kind of gives you some sort of like a i guess like a infographic not really infographic mm-hmm. but more like a meme kind of version of what every person's role is even though it doesn't talk about marketing but the question to me is how do you put this this piece into Uh, our conversation before and about influencers, about, you know, taking content that exists for brands like NASA, like an inbound. And how do you take this name and this conversation and and bring it to the next, you know, kind of move it one step forward, as opposed to just saying it's, it's all about the numbers, it's all about the relationships, but something a little deeper than that.
1: I think it comes down to psychographics. I'm a massive fan of psychographics and I feel like that tends to be where when we create, or when we marketers, brands, whatever, but when we create those personas, we tend to like dip our toe into psychographics, but we don't jump all the way in. Like we don't really dive in and try to figure out like, what are those people doing? Like dinosaur or dragon. Right.
0: Unicorn or unicorn (laughs) unicorn kind of thing. Right. Or
1: unicorn kind of thing. And so I think because of that, we, we have this, we have this issue. We have this gap. Because what you have, and, and I, I think that we see this in, as marketers, I see this too, where the best marketers, like, I forget who said it, but it was, because a lot of us are facing imposter syndrome. Right. A, a, lot of, a lot of marketers, we, we've worked so hard on our craft, and we read every single thing we can get our hands on. We know the trends as quickly as we can. We are constantly absorbing all of the information that we can get our hands on because we know that digital marketing shifts so drastically, so many changes from platform to platform, from new features to like TikTok suing Trump yesterday. Like there's so, like there's always something that you need to keep your eye on. And that's before we even get into like social listening and monitoring for your own brands. Like just like top level view, there's this like constant need for, Intellectual curiosity. And but the flip side of that is because we've worked so hard for all this knowledge, when we start regurgitating and talking about what we've learned and like the insights we have and the trends that we're seeing, it because we've spent so much of that time with it, it feels like common sense. It feels obvious. Like I've I've done I've done playbooks where I'm writing stuff and I'm just thinking like this isn't good enough. This feels obvious to me. And I've had to have someone else on the team look over and be like, no, this is brilliant. Like, this is great. Because in my head, I'm thinking, this is so obvious to me. It must be obvious to everybody You're else. You're kind of
0: saying something where we get to a point where we're almost like in a bubble, where we're we're in yeah. this deep bubble of marketing knowledge. And, yeah. and that uh, that marketing knowledge almost becomes like our day-to-day. And so therefore anyone outside of it you will almost assume or expect that they're going to know everything about it
1: yeah and so what you have is you have you have the marketers, some of the most brilliant people I've ever met are doubting themselves, and then you have the Dunn and Kruger effect, which is creating these unicorns, where you have these conspiracy theorists that feel like I've gone down the rabbit hole on TikTok to kind of see what these what the like the QAnon and and what these other conspiracy theories and, and all this stuff is doing and I've wanted so badly to scream into my phone because it would be like I've done so much research I'm like sweetie spending three hours on YouTube isn't research like it's cute that you think that that's what it is but that's not research like right. it's not and so what you have is you have the most knowledgeable knowledgeable of us questioning and second guessing ourselves. And then you have people who watch one YouTube video and think that they're a prophet all of a sudden. Right. And like they want to share the message. And it just and it gets out of hand. It's it's the the conspiracy theories that are happening on Facebook right now. And it's happening on it's happening on other channels too. Like TikTok has very like conspiracy TikTok is definitely a real thing. Um But we're seeing this like just massive reach for misinformation because people want so badly to believe and understand something. And it's so easy to believe that things are evil and it's just, it's so much easier to believe that someone's bad than to believe that you're being selfish for not wearing a mask or... (laughs) you personally like it has to be it has to be this massive conspiracy because otherwise I need to take personal accountability for the choices I'm making that are putting other lives in danger Um, and that's where psychographics comes into play Facebook especially and even TikTok there's there are some interesting conversations on what kind of what kind of content is doing quite well and what's trending so, for example, you have the TikTok August 27th um, content that's being created, saying like, "You're if there's no hashtags on this, I manifested for you to see this. Something's happening on August 27th, and they play like some eerie music, and they never tell you what it is. Some people will tell you it's an assassination attempt. Other people will tell you it's a day of like positive manifestation. No one has like there's there's so many so many theories on what it is." And you see it continually being manifested in the feed or shown in the feed because the algorithm's like, oh, this is what people like. So same thing, same thing with Facebook. You are seeing people getting really aggravated and angry about something. So they hit that hate button right. and then it just starts spreading. Or they want to share it because they feel like it almost feels like a civic duty to share this misinformation because they don't realize this misinformation there is it's very sad but it's true that there's still a heavy contingency of people who kind of the old joke of it was on the internet so it must be true well it was spread on twitter and had a thousand like retweets it must be true because it would like there's there's almost this you there's this expectation that if it stays on social long enough it's safe and it's true and it's valid and the same people who, who believe that are also the same people that believe that if it was taken down for being harmful, it's censorship. Right. It's, it's, there's...
0: So there's it's it's some, it's some sense of like, you know, a responsibility of the, you know, the platform, whatever platform may be, to be a little bit more, you know, can t- kind of normalize the the balance of between, you know, what's going to go, what's, what's popular, what's trending versus being more transparent and giving both sides of the opinion in some way.
1: My... My take is that the terms of service should, should work for everybody, right? If, if I go and say something that is enacting violence or is communicating threats or is doing something that is harmful and it's removed, that same sort of behavior should, should be responded to with the same action, no matter who they are, no matter what What political party they're a part of, no matter what affiliation they are a part of, whatever channel they're on, terms of service should be the same and should be treated the same for absolutely everyone. And it's it's sad to me that if someone with like twenty five likes says they're gonna kill somebody or says that like someone should burn something down, or that someone should be shot, or if you do this, this will happen if that is con- is if that is perceived as negative and harmful and misinformation or threatening and they should be removed then that's that scene is like this is terms of service but if someone of power if the same thing happens to them then the next thing they do is complain that they're being censored it's like no we're asking you to follow the same rules as the rest of us peasants
0: right so that's that's right. how you think. That's how you think that. In this case, that's how the the platform should be, kind of normalizing the transparency and kind of giving, kind of, you know, making, you know, let's call it, uh, you know, I guess, keeping the the playing field kind of even and, and fair, right? Putting it all, everyone should be doing it that way. What about for brands, right? Brand that's transparency on the platform level. What about brands mm-hmm. in terms of their transparency and how they should be normalizing it? What do you think about that? Oh. Since
1: Absolutely, they need to. They the thing is, is that brands brands have had a tough year. There has been there's been a scandal, there's been a protest, there's been a crisis every month, if not every week, and for some brands, it feels like every day. And so, what you're seeing is that, for better for worse, there are issues that have bubbled to the surface that they didn't just show up in 2020. Like racism didn't start in 2020 the the female pay gap didn't 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 start in 2020. The the need for remote work and like internet accessibility did not start in 2020, but it's like 2020 was the year that like everyone's had enough and like things need to change. And so what you have is you have brands who feel compelled to make a statement because it's trending, but it isn't enough. Right. So If you are making a, and we're seeing this with brands too, because now they're getting called out for it. So if you do a, if you do a post for Black Lives Matter, but then as soon as Black Lives Matter isn't trending anymore, you just go back to like, it's business as usual and you haven't done anything, then that's all that was. It was a post to say, here, we're raising our hand. Yep. 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 We're totally a part of this. Sure. Cool. 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 And then as soon as you don't think anyone else is paying attention, you just go back to how things were. And so I've had, I've had clients that I was working with during all this situation, they were trying to navigate, like, how do we say things? And my first response was if you're going to say something, it needs to not just be a black square. It needs to not just be a statement saying, we we believe that Black Lives Matter. It shouldn't just be like the Black Lives Matter logo fist. Like, you need to, like, if you're going to post that, great. But like, but what are you going to do? Right. Are you going to, to do? You have to money? back
0: up your, you know, what you, people do, I think there's still some sort of gap between what brands believe that their online presence and their offline presence reflect. Meaning their online presence, they believe that it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Oh, it's just a post. You know, obviously, the bigger companies may take it seriously, but they may not necessarily understand how important such a statement may influence mm-hmm. what people believe about their brand. And so an offline, we'll call it traditional, In a mm-hmm. traditional marketing, traditional PR, whatever it is. They may say something there and there they might say, oh, well, we've made a statement that goes opposite what we posted on social. And they'll be like, well, who cares? It's yeah. social, just social media. And what, I, what I'm i hearing you say is really we need to be much, they have to be much more, like you said, with your client, that if they're going to make a statement like that on social, in fact, nowadays, it may even be that the social takes more uh, credibility or more um, mm-hmm. clout, meaning that people respect that more and therefore making a statement of whatever it doesn't make a difference if it's Black Lives Matter or any kind of statement on some sort of larger issue, it's much more about... Um, their understanding of that, they have to be supportive and be behind that. They have to take, you know, they stand behind that kind of thing.
1: Absolutely. And the thing is that right now, like our country is very polarized. I totally get that. And these are major issues and there are feelings to be hurt and there are feelings to be heard. But at the same time, if you're going to make a statement, it can't be, it, it can't just be like, we need to post this to post this, like with all things social. But at the end of the day, where are people interacting with your brand most, they're interacting with your brand most on online on social. They are they they are the front lines. Like social is the front line of your brand. So that's where they're gonna see things first. That's where they're gonna, that's where they're gonna see any statement at all. That's where they're going to focus their efforts to tell you whether or not they agree or disagree with your point of view. They're gonna they're gonna go there first. So social media is the front line, but we don't treat it like the front line.
0: Right. You don't like
1: if you were if you were going to war, your front line would have your best people, they'd be well prepared, they'd have every weapon they'd need, there'd be a plan, and we still have social media frontliners that are having to wear twenty million hats. They are waiting for approvals at the very last minute. They are being p- told to push things that don't follow along with content pillars. They are not being paid what they deserve. I mean, if you you, we really need to start seeing social media as the front line and treat it as such. And it is not. And I'm seeing so many people burn out because they genuinely care about their brand. They genuinely care about what's happening and they're trying to guide these brands, these businesses. And I'm seeing this, I I mean, I'm, I'm seeing it from like universities, small businesses, nonprofits, all the way up to fortune 500. We're starting to see these issues where the social media manager is, is trying to advocate for what is best. They, they know, they, they, they live there. They live in those channels. They see what performs best. They see what people like. And, yeah, they can do a report, and they can send you all tons of graphs, but you could ask any social
0: Yep. So, speaking about brands that are, like, top of the line, front and center kind of situation, we have your recent tweet about the United States Postal Service selling merchandise.
1: Because they're in those channels, they're communicating, they're managing those, those channels. They can do that.
0: Right, they can do that. Uh, I think we lost you for a second. I was I, I okay. switched to, I switched topic, but it's okay. I'll take it out. Either way, okay. um, that's probably my technical difficulty here. But that's what happens when you're six thousand miles away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, talking about brands that are at the front line, top of you know conversation, trending, if you will, for good or for bad. In this case, maybe not one way or the other. But you recently mentioned uh, you have some thoughts about what the unit, what the USPS is doing in terms of mm-hmm. selling mar- merchandise on, uh, on via twitter what 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 is that about in terms of the frontline worker the frontline you know odd, to the audience you know that they're the frontline to their entire you know the united states maybe even larger mm-hmm. what about what is that what is your thought on that
1: i loved the conversation on twitter there was um, there was a woman who had talked about how basically what would happen if marketing twitter came together and created like merchandising, marketing, e-com, um, newsletter packaging, like the whole, like basically full, full suite of how do we do this as a campaign, come together, start selling merchandise, start advocating how people can take action to do this. And honestly, what happened was it's, it soon started after that. I don't even know if marketing Twitter was involved or just certain people that worked for USPS and their union saw it. But they started, um, they started selling merchandise, they started selling um, USPS shirts, and there's been a lot of rallying about paying for certain things. Because at the end of the day, I, I, wish, I wish that more people were able to see things like this as something separate from a political issue. I feel like a lot of the issues that we have as a country, as Americans, is we, we've turned everything political, like every single thing's political. So everyone's wanting to push back on well, not everyone, but some people are pushing back on the USPS because of mail-in ballots. And then you got to think, well, there are people political reasons. Um, There's a lot of there's a lot of articles that were written about the the U.S. Postal Service and how they how they were using merchandise for people to, and like they had people on Instagram wearing like, and some of them were like vintage looking. It was really cool. Um, but just going up there and showing their support and you got to think about too, like the mail has to get, the mail has to get delivered. I mean, like talk about essential workers, like rain, sleet, snow, pandemic, like right. they got to get done. And so these people, you know, they must be exhausted. They're also, they're also they also must feel like they're at risk too because they're they're having to travel to all these different places they they really don't have the chance to quarantine and then on top of that they're 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 potentially being threatened to be of being like of being completely removed like brick by brick essentially i mean it's it's a problem so i love the conversation of how marketing twitter especially marketing twitter can step up to really kind of shape and shift conversations, and how we could help things like that, because the the marketing, and I guess community is going to be, like, the theme of this talk, but the marketing Twitter community has really come together this year, more so than any other year I've ever seen. There's such a sharing of knowledge, and commiseration, and just, like, there's such this, like, just naked transparency about how things are happening, and it's, it's the things that, like the misconceptions about working in marketing and advertising, the misconceptions of working with social media, what we wish other people would know, how hard it can be, what burnout's really like. Um, There's just been this, such an open dialogue. And I think the community is really, I think they're, they're saying community over competition. And I really think that we're seeing that with marketing Twitter, because we all realize like we bring great work to the table and there's work for all of us. So you're gonna see us sharing ideas, sharing threads, hyping each other up. If someone in our community is laid off, you're gonna see us resharing and tagging people to get them hired again. Like we've completely got each other's backs. Right. So seeing a, a basically a call to arms for marketing Twitter, I'm, I'm down for it. Like sign awesome. me up, whatever you need me to do.
0: <laughs> That's an awesome. I, I think that really brings everything we've spoken about so far. Like really you said, the community at the beginning, then it kind of rallied around inbound, then it brings you around to NASA, then it brings you around all the different components of what really kind of brings brands to the next level, which are, there are many brands who are doing it right nowadays. Mm-hmm. I was just speaking to someone else actually about brands that do it well, their community, their responsiveness, their ability to take trending topics and do it correctly as opposed to like forcing it. And I think that is what, you, like you said, is the, the ability for a community and a, to for a brand to take their community, and for the community to rally around the brand, or and somewhere in between, is really what makes marketing professionals really that uh, unique set. Unique set that understands creativity, insights, data, you know, create everything in between, and then it also takes the brand's responsibility, their themes, their pillars, their ongoing content, and takes it and says, okay, how do we fit all these components in, in a quick time, in a way that's not necessarily against our brand message or against our brand uh, ideals, but at the same time takes it in a way that's, you know, something thoughtful, something unique, something in the right direction. And I think that's really where, you know, our community, which I think you mentioned so many times, is really what's unique to us, is the marketing community really takes that to the next level. Mm -hmm.
1: No, so absolutely. now I have a
0: question. So we've kind of talked about everything. We've brought it all together. And obviously, the, you know, even though we didn't mention it, you mentioned at the beginning about your ability to kind of really empathize with your students for the math classes. I don't need to really mention how empathetic us marketers are, especially in terms of what we are nowadays going through, like you said, community of our competition, because uh, mm-hmm. it really resonates and kind of is the underlying foundation of everything that was that's going on in the marketing community right now. Is that our ability to empathize with all of our um, you know colleagues, people that we may in our global, you know, kind of Twitter sphere slash the d- digital sphere. My question is, kind of like a final question, is what would you had you done things a little different uh, in the beginning, right? In other words, you were a math teacher first, and obviously as you collected your experiences throughout your time and this was more of a choice for you professionally, personally, whatever it was. Uh What would you have done differently in terms of the beginning of your career to kind of say, maybe I could have done something better and then that would have provided me even more opportunities, even though your experiences are impressive and your ability to really understand the whole picture and really learn and deep dive. Is there anything that you would have done differently?
1: Yes and no. the thing that i think has has that can handicap um future marketers and and potential marketers really isn't a isn't as much of an obstacle anymore um if i really wanted to speed through and kind of catapult my my um my career to a different level i would have had to have moved to a larger city to a metropolitan area um I've I've always thought about like moving to New York or Boston or Chicago things like that. And that's
0: because you just you just have your your finger on the pulse better. There's more of a so you don't have to like there's, new
1: there's more of an op, There's more opportunities there. Right. Um, there's more opportunities there. There's larger clients there, and there's there's this kind of need where, like I I often wonder like what would have. So the opportunity gaps are there. So I often think if I, what kind of, what kind of clients and brands could I have worked with if I had moved to a larger city sooner Um, versus now because of COVID and the pandemic and because it's accelerated a lot of this remote work push, that really isn't a problem for a lot of marketers today and a lot of brands because they've realized, and I mean, and it's, and it benefits everyone because the brands now they don't have to, they don't have to be able to hand select the best talent where they are. They can pick the best talent anywhere. I need the best talent with Wi-Fi. Right. You know, that's a very different conversation from I need the best marketer in DC or I need the best right. marketer in New York. So it opens up more talent opportunities, more talent options for brands, but also it means that you have really smart, hardworking, brilliant people who who might want to work for Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies, but they're sitting there thinking like, well, I live in Roanoke. Am I ever going to get a chance to do that? And so now, yes, yes, you do, because there is such a shift towards remote and people, a lot of these large brands who were hesitant for so long have now realized that like, like the wheels didn't fall off when they rent remote. The people you hired are still doing their jobs. And in a lot of cases they're working harder than they ever have. They're doing everything that they can to make sure that they're successful, that the brand is successful. And so a lot of the, a lot of the just the immediate learning curve that would have taken years for some brands to finally jump into the pool, like they're there now and they see what can happen. They, they, they've learned what works, what doesn't work for their teams. And so, like I said, when I was getting started, that was a major hurdle for me. Like I've, I've se- I've, I've worked for companies and I've worked with people that I know that I have just as much knowledge as they do, but they're working at a company that I would never be able to get into because I don't live in New York. I don't, I don't live in Chicago. I don't live in LA. Um, and there's still going to be some kind of some kind of marketing that needs to be on site especially like for sports and events where like you have to be there to get that content like you have to be there on site but for the large majority of the stuff there's a lot of jobs that can be done remote that can be done anywhere if you have internet so i'm i'm really grateful for a lot of the future talent that are they're going to have opportunities that a lot of us didn't have and they're going to be able to have those opportunities without moving
0: yeah, that really, and it also nowadays, because they have the ability, because the kind of that that divide of, or that, that, I guess their ability to pick up the pace and also to kind of move faster because they don't have the issue of, you know, location is no longer a factor because most people are working from home, at least for the foreseeable future, that really creates the opportunity for brands to really kind of not only use their community, which is usually involved customers or people within their network but now you're taking it to the, the people who are their employees or the people who are work with them or they're maybe they're even their vendors and turning them into their better ambassadors because that way the gap all of a sudden has shifted because it used to be brands are loyal to their customers and that's very important. They should always be loyal to their customers but now they have to be even more loyal to their employees and to their vendors and partners because those are the people who are going to be able to get them the, the right talent even from the more remote locations because those people are saying is we want to work for these places and here's your opportunity.
1: Absolutely and I, I also love how it's shifting the conversation of culture because I mean if the if you think about like Silicon Valley culture, they're going to talk about how like there's a breakfast bar and there's like nap centers and there's like a ping pong table and there's this like all these wonderful things and then you're like well I don't need any of those I work from home. Can you just pay me what I deserve and not burn me out and like appreciate me.
0: So we've gotten to my uh, favorite question and we'll do it quite quickly because of the time. Uh, First of all, I know that there were some issues, technical issues, so thanks for taking the uh, patience and the, uh, I guess we'll call it the ability to kind of override that, so thank you. Uh, My last question, I always ask this question is, you're a a very busy writer, you do a lot of writing, impressive writing, both on Medium and other places. Besides working with um, Fortune 500 companies and doing a lot of tweeting and writing, what does Christina do on, uh, you know, to keep herself busy?
1: I'm learning to play the violin. Really? Um I'm very bad at it. <laughs> I'm using. There's an app called Trala, um, T R A L A, and so I've been using that to learn um, to learn violin. When I was, I was, I was pretty burned out um earlier or basically up until like August first and was looking for something that wasn't doom scrolling and I need I need to keep my brain firing, but I needed a positive outlet. I was like, let me try something difficult that I know I probably won't do well at, but it'll 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 give me something to work towards that's positive. So I got a beginner's a beginner's uniform and um started started the app and started playing and I know I know three notes and I can do like string crossings and um yeah I'm I'm not I'm not Lindsay Sterling but um that's I'm I'm doing that and then I spend time with my family and I'm patiently hopeful kind of that there will be college football um and that's just family friends having fun and playing violin badly
0: okay so with that intru- or i guess with that summary i'm gonna wish i want to say thank you because you really give me a lot to think about the community uh, i love this this your your statement about community over competition i think that's really what kind of highlights what you know covid has allowed enabled us to even move that that needle further push that needle even further about community and the importance of community so i really thank you for that And yeah, I just wanted to thank you for the opportunity.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on.
0: Awesome. Be sure to sign up for the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And remember, the next time you're doing business in the digital economy, make sure to empathize it.